This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, American Sex, with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. So our fucking printer's possessed. I don't know what's going on over here, but you may be hearing the occasional... God damn it, it's starting again. I don't think we can hear it. Wait, listen, we're quiet. Well, and anyways. it's not showing up on the waveform. Anyway. Okay. Ken. What? Do you like my toes? I do like your toes. I got my first summer pedicure today. Is summer pedicures a thing? Yeah, because I don't get pedicures every however often you're supposed to get them. So my feet get all like troll-like all winter. And I feel sorry for the first person who has to unearth them from their calloused tomb. <laughs> <laughs> so no. do you feel happy and better and pretty and all that good stuff? Kind of. Yeah. A little stressed out. Why are you stressed out? Oh, why, why are you stressed out? <laughs> <laughs> because my husband doesn't pick up you. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm... he just smoked Girl Scout cookies, which is fucking amazing, I have to say. Oh, and for those listening who are like total after school special, they're not literal oh, Girl no, no, Scout I'm sorry. cookies. It's, it's a strain of cannabis. Okay, so... It's called Girl Scout Cookies, and it's fucking amazing. Does it taste like minty chocolate? No. Oh, there's the printer. It's really fucking loud now. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I'm a little stressed out. A, we're hacking to go on a trip. Sonny, why are you stressed out? <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> but you know what? You get an A for effort. <laughs> but for actual execution, uh, well, first we're, we're getting ready to travel right now. So it's like suitcases are half open. We're doing a bunch of shit. That's why our printer's on. Cause we're printing stuff for class. And we always see like, no matter how much I say, I'm going to pack ahead of time. It's always chicken with your head cut off. Like both of us before we go on a trip. So that's first. No, I'm, I'm packed. I'm ready to go. I just got a print. That's it. Oh shit. Solidarity. Just make me feel like we're both just losing it. No. no. Okay. Well, secondly, so yesterday I got a strike on my YouTube, which has never happened before. I've never gotten a strike. And three strikes on my channel is gone, which sucks. Like, Is that the first one? That's the first one. But what ha- what's been happening since Sesta Fosta, and listeners, if you don't know what Sesta Fosta is, go back a few episodes with Kitty Stryker. We talked all about it. It's legislation basically to stop sex traffickers, but the intent is great. The execution is horrible, kind of like when, when you tried to jump in in the conversation. But what it's doing basically, it's shutting down all forms Did of- Did you just compare me to Sesta Fosta? <laughs> Okay, you can go fuck yourself in a very happy way. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't eat my, my taint. My brain can. I'm so compare me to Sesta. I love you. I love you. I too. love you. I love you. But all right, so um, you suck. <laughs> anyway, Sesta Fosta, good intent, 
bad thing because not only is it shutting down consensual sex workers in a big, bad way and actually endangering them, putting them back on the streets. There are people who have already gone missing and been murdered. That's awful. Then people who are in sex ed and, you know, uh, licensed marriage and family therapists like this is an, oh, yeah. the latest one is a bunch of friends who are licensed marriage and family therapists are like, holy fucking shit. Google just contacted me saying the ads that I place on Google AdSense that I've been placing for years where I get, you know, 70% of my business is now considered obscene because I'm a fucking therapist. So that happened. Then I get my YouTube strike. You know, I'm talking to a lot of other sex ed YouTubers and their stuff's been completely taken off of YouTube. Like it's, it's getting bad. I mean, we're getting shut down everywhere. Well, I mean, it's even worse for sex workers. There's sex workers that are getting beat up, harassed, in some instances killed. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's bad all around. So I'm stressed out because I don't want my YouTube to go away because that would be bad. I mean, we have a TV show because of YouTube. Like a lot of our, our success is oh, because yeah. of YouTube. Absolutely. So, it is. And folks out there, you know, there is something that you can all do to help. If you see that a sex worker or a sex therapist or somebody that you know has something like a Patreon account like Sonny and I do for American Sex Podcast, uh, think about it like PBS or NPR, that something that you would want to donate to because it's going to help those people that are so greatly affected by SESTA-FOSTA and the hurt is real. And I know that everybody's always asking for money for fundraisers and for GoFundMes and things like that. But this is getting to a very desperate point for a lot of folks. Yeah. Or even if you've been considering using their services, like, hey, they've got an online class and I've been thinking about taking it or, hey, I really do need some relationship therapy and I've been thinking about maybe going to see this person. Let this be the thing that gets you to actually utilize their services, their paid services so they can, you know, pay Or rent. if you need a great new room massage, go go find a sex worker and get a great new room massage. Exactly. Know, go, go, and go help those who need it most. Are we violating SESTA Foster right now? You know what? I fuck don't give Sesta a fuck. <laughs> fuck SESTA Go Fosta. patronize your local sex worker. Do so, it. Yeah. Get laid. Be happy. Exactly. And I'm, tip well, by the way, you bitches. Yes. So if you're going to go out there and you're going to uh, use the services of a sex worker, a $50 tip minimum or mm-hmm. like something that they enjoy or an Amazon gift card. You know, and I think we're fine because we didn't say where to go. We just said, you know. Who to go to. I don't care if we are wrong. I don't. And, uh, yeah, I don't care either. So, Fox hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm disgruntled, frustrated, Sonny Megatron. And I'm stoned Ken Melvoy Berg. <laughs> and welcome to episode 43, 43 of American Sex Podcast. Uh, you just wanted to say my words. It's okay. You can. You're happy and stoned. I like it when you're happy and stoned. So, I'm just going to keep you that way. This week's guests are high school teachers that are promoting the STEM program. Now, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And today, we'll be discussing the methods STEM is used to increase the gender balance from grade school all the way on up to the professional marketplace. Dr. Greg Marks and Aaron Heaney are from the University School of Milwaukee, and they're going to talk with us today about the importance of making sure that women and girls are an integral part of technology, engineering, and the sciences. So if you're like, okay, wait a minute, this is a sex podcast. What the fuck does this have to do with sex and relationships? Well, it actually has a lot to do with it in kind of a roundabout way. So making sure that women and girls have access, interest in, and encouragement in math, science, tech, and engineering. Yeah, it's not directly related, but it is 
indirectly related in a crucial way. You'll find while listening to this interview, sexism comes up a lot over and over and over, as does the way pervasive lifelong sexism not only puts women on the bottom rungs of the ladder in their careers, but how that affects things like their income earning potential, their ability to self-sustain or remove themselves from unhealthy or abusive relationships, and how that kind of inequity in seemingly healthy relationships can take a silent but sizable toll on those romantic partnerships. And that even affects what happens in the bedroom. So I've mentioned before that I get letters from people that are like, you know, hey, God, you know, why can't you just talk about fucking, right? Why do you have to bring politics into it and sexism and feminism and all this social justice warrior BS? Can't you just tell me how to spice things up in the bedroom? Well, consider this, you know, if these undercurrents are present in your relationship or marriage, and you know, what we're talking about is most true for hetero couples, simply learning how to find the G spot probably isn't going to solve all of your relationship issues or help you truly understand each other better. If you have a woman in your life, whether it's a relationship, a daughter, sister, you know, you're, you're raising girls, you work with young girls, which, you know, most of us have women in our lives in some capacity. This episode is a must listen. But before we get to that, you know what time it is. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I feel that's like on a minor key and it's a little depressing and I need to change the tune, (laughs) but we'll go with it for right now. It's Heartfelt Appreciation by Bauhaus. (laughs) So I want to thank our new Patreon family members, Cleopatra, Marianne, Gadget, Lee and Deschats Rouge for joining our Patreon family this week. Thank, thank you, you thank everybody. You. Thank you. The every boo. Every, every boo. boo? Yeah. Hey, hey, Patreon fam. You're our boos. You are our boos. Thanks, boo. Thanks, boo. We're, <laughs> we're at 73 boos <laughs> in our Patreon family. Mem- what? <laughs> I love Stone Ken. <laughs> we're at 73 boo Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't I hip, young children? <laughs> Hello, fellow maybe, kids. Maybe our Patreon family, maybe they're not booths, maybe they're bays. Are you our bay? Do you even know what a bay is, Ken? Yeah, it's the Dutch word for shit. Really? <laughs> or Danish, sorry, Danish word for it's shit. It's the Dutch yeah. word for Danish? No, it's the Danish word for shit. No, <laughs> okay. <Dutch. laughs> We're at 73 Patreon family members, and if we get to 100 members... By or before July 5th, we're going to beat the crap out of each other. Yep. If we reach that goal, we'll take a lick for every Patreon member, which will be at least 100. We're also going to be spanking each other at the same time and recording it. So this is going to be interesting and I'm sure very painful on both of our parts. This is a little bit like therapy, too. It, it is like, th- it's scary. Th- it's sca- scary. Is that a thing? Scarapy? Do we just invent a thing? Get the URL. Scarapy.com. Anyway, so... <laughs> No, I'm wondering if we're going to make it because, like, I think we're going to make it. We got, like, what? Math, math, math. Oh, God, it's the STEM episode. 73 minus 125. 27. We need 27 people. See? This is why we need, need STEM. <laughs> this is why we need young girls getting into math and science so they can add to 100. Uh, but I think, I hope we, I hope we get there. 
listeners, though, don't forget, as American Sex Podcast Patreon family members, you're going to get a bunch of perks, like getting all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, extra episodes, and our surprise random mailings. In May, all of our Patreon members are getting a jar of the Butters personal lubricant provided by peepshowtoys.com. And you can still get in on that by becoming our Patreon supporter before May 31st. So you only got a few days. Hurry. And secondly, by signing up for Peep Show Toys mailing list by texting the word Peep Show to the number 345345. We're also doing a giveaway this month with Castle Megastore. We're giving away a Dami app controlled mini wand massager in hurry. The entry period ends on Sunday. To enter, go to sunnymegatron.com slash Dami, that's D-O-M-I, and friends of ours are friends of Castle Megastore, too, and you get 20% off select items at castlemegastore.com when you use the code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout. Peep Show Toys has a couple of other really nifty things for you this month, too. So one of them is, first thing, my fans get an exclusive deal on one of my favorite clit toys, The Mimic by Clandestine Devices. You can get 30 bucks off a Mimic for a limited time, and that limited time is almost over, so hurry. If you use the code SUNNYMIMIC, just all one word, S-U-N-N-Y-M-I-M-I-C, at checkout. Now, the other thing they've got going on, well, it's an amazingly awesome exclusive deal that I have with Peep Show on the best G-spot and prostate toy in the universe, the Enjoy Pure Wand. It comes packaged with a jar of the butters and you can get it for a ridiculous price. <clears throat> cough, cough, 79 bucks. Yeah, really, seriously. I'll have the link and the exclusive discount code in our show notes at americansexpodcast.com. And the last thing, I have teamed up with Peep Show Toys to give away a Fem Fun Ultra Bullet to you and to a friend. Yes, you each get one. The giveaway is running now on my Instagram, and I'll also have a link to that in the show notes. And as always, you get 10% off absolutely everything at peepshowtoys.com when you use the code SUNNY at checkout. And without further ado, here is Dr. Greg Marks and Aaron Heaney. Do we have any transition there? Like a fun little talk? I'm too stoned to think of transition right now. Okay. There's your fucking transition. Here's your transition. We're seriously going straight to the interview. Yes. Okay. With nothing funny happening. Uh, Just this great dialogue. (laughs) Okay. And I am very excited today on American Sex Podcast. We are here with Dr. Greg Marks and Aaron Heaney. Guys, welcome to the podcast today. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, this this is very interesting that um, whenever we have anybody who's an academic on board, we get a lot of people that are very excited because, first of all, although this is American sex, we're, we're actually not talking about sexuality a whole lot with this particular subject. Um, I had approached uh, Greg, who's been a friend of mine for a very long time, and I wanted to talk a little bit about feminism and the sciences, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And when I had discussed this with him, he says, oh, I actually do something with STEM. And I'm like, holy crap, that's that's freaking amazing. Um, so first and foremost, we, we want to talk about, exa- although I just said what STEM is, essentially, can you tell us a little bit more about the specifics of STEM? Uh, sure. Well, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. It's sort of become a hot topic in the last decade or two because – there's been sort of a, a falling away from teaching some parts of STEM, and it seems like 
if our country as a whole is going to be competitive and just to have well-rounded students that that's that should be part of your education so we've there's been a big push to try and get more people involved and one of the things that uh, Aaron and I have been working on in particular is trying to make sure that STEM includes women as well we've uh we have a ongoing joke between the two of us that we are steminists. Steminists. Let's enunciate. I like that. I like that. So, all right. So, Greg, you had said that, um, you know, this is a, one, an effort for our country to just get ahead globally in our abilities and our knowledge and whatnot. But how is STEM also important for women and young girls on an individual level? I think. Um, I can start on that one. I think mm-hmm. that we had this push, especially in my generation, growing up in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, of starting to send that message that women can do whatever they want, starting to sort of push forward from that Title IX moment of you can be the doctor, you can be the lawyer. And I think that was a really great empowerment um, that started to happen. But I also think that there wasn't a lot of um, hit-the-ground movements to then educate what are those options and what does that future look like. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, oh, surprisingly enough, as I in my 15 years of teaching high school, high school teenage girls are very forward-thinking. They're very future-thinking, and they want marriages and families and kids. And so when they start reaching for the stars and all of these careers, it starts to meld with their um, other ideas of what they want in their personal lives. Um, and I think that's what was lacking in terms of getting them to move forward. Because when you commit to a medical career, you're looking at six years plus in schooling. And, you know, there's a lot of different choices. And I feel like females didn't, like we were told we could do it but not necessarily how to do it or what it looks like or what cost will that be to the personal choices you make. And I think for some, that was very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think at this point, it's really important for females to have a voice in these areas because, I mean, if you think about just in the medical profession alone, most statistics say that medical decisions done in families are done by mothers, like by the, like Mm -hmm. by the female character, female character in that family is usually the one making those medical decisions a lot of times for children. And so to not have voices in our medical care that are reflective of that component in a family seems pretty lacking in decision making. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I'd also add to that, that you also want your populace to be somewhat educated. So if you're going to have moms making these decisions, well, they should have a, a general working knowledge of, of science, at least generically. Like, what does it mean to take this medicine? What does it mean to have this illness or injury? I mean, if you're going to, if those are the people making the choice, they need to also be educated. Absolutely. And it's one of the first things that I thought when I think of STEM, when I think of science and technology and engineering and mathematics, is NASA. And when I was doing some research uh, into STEM, just preparing to talk to you guys, I actually found something good that the Trump administration (laughs) had done. And I, I was unaware of this, that they had done a good. And it is the Inspire Women Act. And this is, I guess, his like way of bringing women into space force. Uh, no, I'm just kidding right. about the space force thing, but like uh he actually is trying to do stuff to bring women and girls into 
stem through uh, so that they can actually participate more readily in NASA through like NASA girls and NASA boys and the aspire to inspire program. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's a bill that was uh, originally authored by Barbara Comstock of Virginia, I believe. Yeah. And the idea was to increase mentoring of girls and to some extent boys as well uh, to help them know about STEM careers. This is actually a thing that Aaron and I have also been working on, not as part of the Inspire, but the idea that some girls don't realize what their options are because they're often not catered to early enough in their career. They're not, they're not told, Hey, these are other options that you have. Uh, it also, I believe, uh, has a summer Institute associated with it to increase awareness of, of what might be non-traditional career opportunities as well as holds NASA somewhat accountable to uh, the House, I believe, one of the, the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, to file reports about what they're doing to make sure that K-12 to female STEM students are, are being brought into the field. That's actually amazing. And I'm like, it makes me happy to see the Trump administration doing a good. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if there's a potential downside to this, but this all seems positive. Yeah. Now, Aaron, going back to what you said, you really hit home for me because I grew up, you know, I graduated from high school in 1989. Mm -hmm. So I was very much a part of that generation where it was like, hey, you can do everything. You can be a superwoman. And here I am with like, you know, babies in each arm and a briefcase. And it's like, I can't do all this. Right. So when I was growing up, going through college in my early adulthood career, I very much found myself actually holding myself back because I realized, you know, I had thought about getting into the sciences and I was like, no way, I'm never going to have the time for that. I don't know how I would make that work. Um, and I even found it holding me back in my business career. I went into marketing and I couldn't keep up with, you know, business travel and all that stuff. So now that we're actually paving a road for women going into these careers to, you know, be able to really do it all without actually having to do it all. What does that look like? What things are being implemented? Well, you know, I think that's a, that's a great question. And actually, this is, uh, it's kind of a good segue into an article that I have with some statistical information on this topic. Mm -hmm. It's from the Chemical and Engineering News produced by the American Chemical Society. And it's a cover story article talking about why can't the drug industry solve its gender diversity problem. Mm. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a really interesting article. And what they basically state is that the difference between females and, and males is actually not um, in schooling levels in the STEM stand in in the STEM fields when the separation mm-hmm. starts to happen is exactly what you just described is when their career paths diverge in terms of management so females are pretty much at equity actually even there's a slight in one of the statistics they show that there's 50.4% of women in some sort of science contributor role in pharmaceutical realms and men are 49.6 and then it's still 51 to 49% in the managerial roles but as soon as you lo- you you move up to mid-level leaders, functional leaders, board members, those numbers change drastically. And by the time you get to the board member level, 85.6% of board members 
members are male in the farm industry and only 14.4% are female. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty striking. Right. It's a pretty striking difference. And so part of what you're talking about in terms of success would be really ultimately what the article talks about because it's a bunch of CEOs and high, high female powers that are um, cited in the article. And they talk about how we need to restructure. It's not just about giving opportunity because, you know, sort of like um, the Inspire Women Act, like, that's great. Let's push women into NASA. You know, let's get them exposure and everything. But we also have to be really careful to not make legislation that just makes you a token. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the companies, in order to get more women on their board, they started to, like, cold call, you know, prominent women scientists to get them into these positions. And when the women asked, well, why are you calling me? The recruiters would just say, well, we need to have more women on the board. Oh, Not because you have worked in this, you know, research environment for 20 some years. These are the skills that you bring to the table. This is what this is why we want you here. It's because you fit a token need. You know, so that's a challenge, right? Because women in general are motivated by feeling like they contribute. Right. And so when you are just marginalized by saying, well, you're just that token female we need, we don't really care what you're qualified to do. You just have ovaries and that makes mm-hmm. you qualified. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's a danger. And then I think it's a matter of realizing that women aren't put into those managerial positions, too, because of how women change. Like we lead very differently than men tend to. Um, and that's another thing that this article talked about was how women leaders, their word choices tend to um, give male counterparts the um, the illusion that they aren't as confident as leaders. So, for example, a female a female leader or manager might sit down with their constituents and say, "Let's look at our plan rather than my plan." Saying that, right. talking about a group active, and another statement they talked about was that women will plan for failure. <laughs> So I might come up with plan A, B, and C, like I do with my family. Like I might have, this this is what our Saturday is going to look like. And then I have like 9 million things go wrong and we're down to plan D by that point, you know. But some leaders look at that as being not confident in your thought process, that if you're going to come up with backup plans, why don't you just make a better first plan? And so that's what some of the female leaders think that are, are, that we need to change the mindset of what leadership Mm -hmm. looks like. And it can't just be defined as the loudest, most extroverted, most confident person, if that makes any sense. Right, right. Yeah. And and what you're saying really rings true, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of the listeners listening along, like, well, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with, you know, the bigger picture, or even sexuality? And it's like, you know, I have seen this, as I said, in the business world, I held myself back at the middle management position, because I'm like, I can't go any further. I don't have the resources to take care of my family and my kids and travel and do all these things. So I you know, took myself out of that because I couldn't do it. And when we're seeing that happen on such a large scale to women across, you know, not even just the sciences across any type of professional field where they can excel or the opportunity is there, but other things are holding them back, that translates into everything else, you know, the dynamics at home, um, you know, patriarchy, you know, bringing it back to, to hardcore feminism, even back to dynamics in the bedroom. It's what shapes us as women. For sure. So 
what have you seen now working in the education field? You know, both of you, I'm sure you, you've gotten to the point now where you're seeing that students you may have seen that have gone through these programs are now in the career world. And are you seeing these direct impacts on an individual level? So I, I can give you a few statistics before mm-hmm. I say specific levels. So I can tell you that from the standpoint of taking science classes, it's very close to equal from elementary, middle to high school. Girls and boys take about the same math and science. It's close. Yet a lot fewer women go into those majors. So if you, uh, and I'm taking these numbers from, uh, Catherine Hill, uh, who did a, a really great study for the American Association of University Women. Mm-hmm. Men outnumber women in pretty much every science field. It's best in, uh, like, Biology, pharma, that's the closest. The worst are like physics, engineering, computer science. Uh, but women earn about 20% of the number of bachelor's degrees that men do in science fields. Wow. Now, but that said, we're better. So 30 years ago, there were 13 boys for every girl who scored high on math SAT. So high being like 700, mm-hmm. above 700. And now it's three to one. So there is mathematical proof that we are doing something to at least educate the girls better. It's the interest that seems to be the difference. And so one of the things I know we're working on on a more individual scale is to sort of re-envision the idea of mindset and expose girls to more options. So we're socialized, particularly in our country, to when a when a boy does well, you often said, you did pretty good, aka there is room for improvement. Mm-hmm. The idea of a growth mindset. Like, you know, keep striving, keep competing. When a girl does well, you often say things like, oh, you're so smart. Well, you have just told her she's succeeded and done all she needed to do. Mm. And so – the female students are often not taught to have this growth mindset. Instead, they're taught to have a fixed mindset that they have done all that is needed and therefore are done. Right. And we're and cute. Not- <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, we're, you are pretty. And we're going to get married yeah. and right. yeah, take care right. of a good house. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we, I just t- reflected with Greg yesterday about how we tell my daughter she's pretty and she's only two years old. Like, what, what does she care about yep. how pretty she is? She could care less. Mm-hmm. But it's just something that you just naturally comes out of your mouth, you know? Right. Um, whereas my son, I rarely ever, I don't ever tell him he's pretty half the time. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just uh, an interesting cultural difference. We were saying it's like you don't, especially for, for men in our, in our culture, you don't want to make the girl student feel bad or cry. Right. Cause that, that hits you right in the feels and you don't want to, you don't want to deal with that. So you did great, you know, and therefore, but the boy, you're like, Oh, well, you know, you did all right. You could, you could fix this here or you could, you could do this as well. Mm-hmm. And so exposing them to that sort of, I don't want to necessarily say competition, but the idea that there is always room for growth. And that that leads into bringing science into job choices, into your life, into, you know, making a decision about what you're going to do in your future that can improve, it can, sorry, include growth. So it can be, I'm going to have a family, but I'm also going to make strides in this field that I'm passionate about and I don't have to put it off. 
You know, it's interesting that that kind of feeds into toxic masculinity. I was thinking the same thing. This it is does. why we're married. Yes. <laughs> it does. It feeds right into toxic masculinity in that um, how boys are raised primarily. Like, and I'm just talking in generalities here. We have been geared to have a primacy towards work in career, which feeds into uh, us being unable to be vulnerable, empathic, or emotional. And I and I remember reading and there was a, a study and, I, and forgive me because I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was a 2018 study that found that girls perform better or equal to boys in in the majority of countries. I want to say in two thirds of countries and nearly all countries, more girls were qualified to college level study that had actually enrolled. Um, and I was wondering if you could comment to that a little bit. Like, why do you think that is? But in, by the way, in, in a second part of this, I'm also like really proud of the USA for being farther ahead than even some Northern European countries. I know that like we have twice the number of women, uh, in the sciences in the United States than is in the UK. Yeah. Which I was surprised about. Like yeah. their numbers are 13%. Ours were 25%. Now that's neither of those are great, but like at least we're, you know, go America. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, what, what do you think about the, you know, girls being at least equal or better qualified, but not entering into colleges in most countries? I think it's a self-reflection piece. I think that females, I mean, they're, um, you know, I, I don't know what study this came from or site, but basically the statement is, is you can have a job posting and you can require seven skills that are required in that job posting. And the stereotypical female will look at that job, find the one thing they can't do and say, I'm not qualified for that job. Yes. Whereas males yeah. will look at that posting, find the one thing they can do and say, oh, great. I'm going to go in and see what happens when I interview for this job. It's this idea of self-reflection that males are much more ready to take risk. They're much re more ready to just say, hey, let's just fly by the seat of our pants and see what happens. Whereas females are like, oh, if I don't have my ducks in a row, like if I can't do that one thing, then that's going to be terrible. Like I might fail. Um, and I had an interesting conversation with a biologist the other day where I was talking about this and talking about just from like a biological evolutional stand, evolutionary standpoint that mm -hmm. if you think about females are responsible for the home, you're responsible for the family, whereas males would go out into the workforce, right? So if a female makes a choice, you're making a choice with the people that matter the most to you. You are family. So failure has a huge price tag on it. Right. And it was just an interesting hypothetical conversation we had to justify why are, why are females in general less willing to take risk than males? Um, I know that I had that experience that, you know, I went through and got my bachelor's degree from Butler University in chemistry. And then I was very hesitant to think that I was actually qualified to do what my degree said I could do. Like it just didn't, like I was like, no, I, I, for some reason, I just don't feel like I, like, this is a joke. You know what I mean? Like, I'm right. not really yeah. ready to be this adult person and do all of this. And now I find that same conversation with my female students that come in. Um, and I think that the biggest difference for me was having a strong female mentor at Butler that would tell me I was crazy. 
you know, that she was Mm -hmm. sort of that ground reality check. And that's what I and Greg, despite his lack of ovaries, still does at USM, too. We still love Um, you, Greg. You're pretty. Um, Greg, you're pretty. To just, like, to to take those girls and say, like, just because you don't envision yourself as a trauma surgeon on ER, which isn't real, by the way, anyways, you know, let's look at Mm -hmm. what are your skills and how can those be used in environments? Like, you don't just have to cut people open to be in STEM. Like, that picture can be very different. And so our thought process, because when I reflect on, I think that I really should have, if I had known what was available in the engineering realm, um, that's probably a route I think I would have really enjoyed. But I just, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. Like, I I probably thought an engineer was someone that worked at a construction site and wore, wore a hard hat. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I... Yeah, I thought yeah. it was someone on the train. Like, right. <laughs> like I had no idea. Exactly. Like, seriously. Like, what does that look like? Well, I mean, there are so many different versions of that career and what skill set you need. Um, and so that was part of our thought process in this grant. Is So as we were at American Chemical Society and all these businesses were looking to attract graduate students... Um, I went up to a lot of them and just said, hey, can I talk to you about your female employees and what does your job look like and what does their day look like and where where do they fit in and would you be willing to talk to high school kids? So our vision is to sort of have a reverse career fair mm-hmm. where female professionals would come to high school and give females a story to listen to so that the risk factor gets minimized. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. Dr. So-and-so, this is what she did. And this is how her life worked out. And she's still happy and she still has children and she could still meet these expectations, you know, because I think if they can attach that it really happens and people can do this successfully and hear how here are the choices that they made, I think that might help or our hypothesis is that it will give them some more confidence to take risks that they aren't naturally tending to. Right, right. And and so much of what you said, I was like, yes, yeah, you know, I'm nodding my head like, yeah. amen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I everything you said really resonated with me just even on a personal level. When I was in high school, I went to an all girls high school, and they were very supportive of women. We got a lot of things the other co-ed high schools didn't get. But I still never got any of this explained to me. I never got my career choices explained to me. And you know, the thing you were saying about um having to feel that we are completely 120% competent at whatever we're up against. And if we don't feel that confident and secure, we must not be good enough. I'm finding that in in our common lexicon, we're getting a lot more emotionally intelligent. So we have phrases like if you've heard of imposter syndrome, where even though you're 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 qualified to do whatever, you just feel like I'm not good enough. I can't do that. And now that that's become a phrase and we talk about it as women, we can, you know, like you said, pat each other on the back and give each other pep talks and say, no, look at all your qualifications. You got this like this is made for you. And even in business, there there was a similar statistic, as you said, if a man goes up for a job interview, I want to say the statistic is like, if he feels that he can, um, you know, competently cover 50% of the job requirements, he's like, I got this, right. I'm going to go for this job, I can just learn the other stuff later. And, and it, you know, when you look at women, if they're not 100% sure they are 100% proficient in every single thing, they think I can't even interview for this. Totally yeah. true. I've, I can... I wholeheartedly admit to applying for jobs where I was about 50% or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and getting to the final round. 
Yeah. Definitely been where, oh, yeah, you've got most of what we need. We can teach you the other thing. And that's yeah. a thing that I I think that we don't do a good enough job teaching girls that sort of take that chance and just exposing them to it. That right. That's an option. Well, the, the phrase comes to mind and it's been on T-shirts and mugs like, you know, universe grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. You know, (laughs) I'd have it made, right? You know what might be interesting for our listeners? Like, I would, I would wonder if they would guess whose job is what, like developing our podcast. Because my job is to be the pretty one, and I'm the bard, and Sonny's the wizard. So my job is to do the charisma skills, talk to people, get guests. Sonny does all of the heavy lifting. She does the engineering. She does the production she does all of the computer oriented issues marketing marketing um and like it's just incredible like it's like it's an almost a role reversal of what people would expect unless they know us on a personal level and they know that like i'm completely incompetent with computers but like i'm really good at talking to people yeah I would have guessed all of that except for you being the pretty one. <laughs> oh no, she, she's actually prettier than me. Like I was just, <laughs> but, but you should see him under his beard. <laughs> oh, he hides all that. that he hides that pretty face. <laughs> well, I've neither. So, I've never uh, seen either of you, so I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for National Public Radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you're thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash americansex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift, too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. We're sexuality educators and we teach, you know, a, mainly adult pleasure education. But what everything always comes back to is. Why are we here in this classroom teaching you about these things that everyone thinks you should just know? Like, this is fun. Because when you look at health research, when you look at sexuality research, it's all on on 
men's bodies. Mm-hmm. We just learned about the you know, clitoral complex, what, not even 20 years ago. And they still don't have a full understanding of what nerves are doing what to exactly. create orgasms, either a clitoral orgasm or a G-spot orgasm. Right. Like, I have a medical background, and one of the things I, you know, and, and this is the thing, I, we can only hypothesize this. Because nobody researches Because nobody's it. doing the right. research as to what actual nerve is stimulating the, the internal clitoris, and we're pretty right. sure it's the um, the dorsal clitoral nerve. Right because it goes into the right spot. But you but, know what? Dude's got Viagra. That I, I know, happened. yeah. That and, happened. And we, <laughs> have, we have boner pills, but we don't know how that... Viagra yeah. was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how... Even in the health field, women have been ignored. When you look at the signs of heart attack, we're, we're looking at the signs of what men typically find. So then you find all these women having heart attacks. They don't know. They're like, I just got a little back pain. I'm okay. You know, and then they're keeling over because nobody cares. So what kind of an impact or will this have a significant impact or even when will this have a significant impact on the research that we, uh, pay it you know give to women is this really going to make a tangible difference for us i think it's a transition of power to put it bluntly um Mm -hmm. you know going back to that pharmacon um article where we see the drop off in managerial positions one of the things that it references is without women at the table that voice isn't there so when companies make medical initiatives and decisions and they decide what drug research to go forward in what experimentation to do when you don't have women at the table women issues aren't going to be brought up unless you have a really in touch male <laughs> you know what i right. you know what i'm yeah. saying like that voice isn't heard it's not there so with your percentages being so so disparaging at those top levels that's where all of that decision-making happens. And until women start to have an effective voice in those um, spaces, I, I don't know that that's going to change. And I think right. you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's a grassroots movement. You know, We're pushing now so that as that changing of the guard happens, we get those people in place. And I think it's a networking piece too, that it's a, you know, it's a feminine solidarity piece that once right. one woman gets into a position of, because another issue this article talks about is that there just isn't the networking community, right? So mm-hmm. there's only, you know, there's like five women that are in these high positions. And so they're all sought after to sit on these boards. Well, why not, you know, if there if there was a continuous web of networking where females that are just starting out could start to get that exposure and that experience, that's another way to start getting those voices to the table. Right. And I, I think that this is a, a situation where teachers of all grades can can really make that difference to try and educate that next generation. So in my, in my, in, in to tie this back into research, in my previous position, I ran a research lab. So for roughly a decade, I had a lab that usually had in the neighborhood of about 10 students. Mm-hmm. And I can count the number of males that I had in that lab on one hand. And my other colleagues used to always, you know, like, why do you take all the girls? And I'm like, because the rest of you never give them a chance and they have all of these great ideas mm-hmm. that we are just leaving sit on the floor because no one's taking advantage of them. Right. So this is all this untapped opportunity. And when women, these young women were having this opportunity, they're all students and they, they would get into a research lab and like, oh, I, I, I didn't think this was a thing I could do right. until I tried it. Right. And so – the idea of we have to expose them to these opportunities 
uh, because I mean, just as a country for success, I mean, we're leaving half of our good ideas behind by not taking advantage of, you know, one of the genders. I was just going to say, I have a, a personal story. Um, you know, in, in college, I sort of rode two sides being a, a chemistry major and then also being in like the sorority scene and, you know, all that kind of whatever. And so I was looked at as like the party girl because I'd get to lab and I'd start divvying out responsibilities because I was like, people, I am not spending my entire evening in this lab like the rest of you, right? So <laughs> I was sort of socially labeled as like the outsider because all the rest of the people in my lab group couldn't would have cared less if they were there till midnight. But that wasn't happening on my watch. And so I kind of always felt socially separated from the rest of my um, classmates. And I had one professor set me aside one day and he's like, I know that we joke about you and your bar hopping and all that kind of stuff. He's like, but legitimately, he's like, a lab would really need you because he's like, you are an efficient delegator and you get things done. And so he sat me down and really walked me through what skills I brought to the table that I'd never thought about, you know? I just mm -hmm. thought I was really good at getting in and out and getting to where I wanted to go. I'd never really thought about how that would make me an effective, efficient worker or, you know, a coworker or whatever you want to say. And so that, that really mm -hmm. was one of those pivotal moments for me that made me realize what skills I bring to the table. And I think that also needs to happen both from male mentors and female mentors, that we need to be more right. open and exposure and saying, like, this is what you can do. This is what you bring to the table. Um, right. Yeah. So, Aaron, were you also a beer pong champion? Just your other <laughs> um, Flippy Cup was more of my game. I'm not Flippy Cup. Lie. <laughs> I'm really good at equilibrium. Let me tell you. <laughs> so now when we're talking about overcoming these barriers to entry into these advanced fields for women – by and, and and that we're overcoming them slowly but surely by and large by default we're talking about white women and i i don't know the statistics but i you know would venture to guess that the barriers for entry to these these fields for women of color is much more difficult probably you know tenfold even more so what are there are there other provisions being made for women of color who are either in school having access to, to these subjects or getting that encouragement or out in professional fields. I, I mean, I know at the American Chemical Society, they had a women of color networking event um, just to start to create an empowerment piece. Most of the mm -hmm. articles, when you start looking at statistics, if they're looking at, they look at female to male, and then there's always a, a statement or a phrase inside the article to just say that, that, you know, African-American females are really not even represented, that, wow. that the percentage is, is, is low enough that I don't even know that they report it. Um, and I think that has a lot to do, I mean, I know I can speak from the state of Wisconsin, it has a lot to do with segregation and school districts mm -hmm. um, and what resources those school districts have. And then as a result, if you don't have the resources or you don't have, you know, you have a lot of issue with um, student attendance and socioeconomic issues, then you're not getting the teachers in those places. Mm -hmm. And I really think that the mentorship and direction is one of the key pieces. So right. you don't have the qualified people to drive that bus. It's not going to get there, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so much harder when you, not only does someone not look like you from a color standpoint or any, or from a gender standpoint either. So you, you, you seem to have even less in common. I know there was a study 
uh, I think it was last year that also showed that uh, women of color in STEM also have a higher risk of gender and, and racial harassment at work mm-hmm. combined. That that probably doesn't help any either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's there have these both of these hurdles to overcome, right? Is there any is there anything that you're aware of or, you know, whether it's in your own work or work that you've seen from colleagues that are addressing these specific issues when it comes to not only women, but women and race, women in lower sec- socioeconomic um, segments? Are there any special provisions or are we still kind of like floating behind everyone? To the best of my knowledge, it's it, it depends on the association or the particular group. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know the American Chemical Society, like Aaron mentioned, is uh, definitely promoting both uh, minority and gender equality issues. So I know some some fields, chemistry in particular, the one we're associated with, is is trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, I think it was geophysicists. There was a study that uh, about them basically taking stock of the situation. I don't know what they uh, what their progress was, though. You know, I I think we need to get ca- caught up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe because right now Shuri <laughs> from Wakanda yes. is actually the most intelligent and inventive <laughs> scientist in the entire. Outthought both it. Bruce Banner and Tony Stark. I'm yeah, just saying, yeah, just totally. throwing that out there. So okay, to to wrap this up. Um, there are some people listening who are, maybe they work in schools, maybe they have access to children in their professional life where they can, you know, step up and be those mentors. Are there other things we can just do as people, as parents, as aunts, as uncles, as big sisters and brothers? What can we do to over help women overcome this and young girls? Stop saying I'm not science minded. That is literally oh, one please. of my yes. biggest pet peeves as a teacher. Cause usually as I introduce myself and people ask what I do, I get this big like shrug and eye roll and they're like, Oh, chemistry. That was the worst. I was so bad at it. And people just sort of generalize that whatever their high school experience was, especially in the parent role, that that just means they're not a science person. And then they unintentionally allow that to permeate down to their children. And so then their children just identify, well, my mom and dad say they're not science people, so I'm not a science person. I was like, if you got up and made decisions and solved problems, you're a science person. Like, that is science. So that would be my number one, is to stop unintentionally laying those seeds that, Mm. um, you know, oh, I just don't do science or just science isn't my thing. Like, just find ways to make science your thing in your real life. So is science your thing because you like to look at nutrition, right? Do you evaluate the food that you feed your family? That kind of thing. Like, it doesn't have to fit into bio, physics, chem, like find a way. Are you an artist? Could you talk about science from an artistic standpoint in your family? Um, that's my mm-hmm. gut reaction. A, well, a well-balanced person is well-balanced. I remember having a conversation when one of my colleagues was presenting. It was a sort of English philosophy sort of situation and to which I, I could comment on. And they, they made the comment, well, how is it possible that you know these things? I'm like, well, I read books. I, I, I do more than one thing. So don't let I don't like science make you illiterate about science. But also encourage students, regardless of gender, to 
be involved, to learn, to have, you know, some vague use of what these fields can give you. Like Aaron said, you, you look at the, just the food you eat. Well, maybe you could make a better choice if you had some knowledge about why one food is better than another. I like that. So we're, we can all help make the world a little bit better. One step at a time, one not poo-pooing science at a time. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> so um, as we wrap up, do you have any, I don't know, other resources or things that our listeners can look at, participate in, donate to anything that we can do to either find out more or help this movement? I would say if you are a female you know, if you are a female in a successful science realm, make a connection to your local schools, like find yeah. out how you can share your story, how you could allow like volunteer to be a chat so allow shadowing or internships. If that's something that's feasible within your career, the more one-on-one -on -one connections I think our youth get, the more we're going to make headway. Yeah. Rather than a specific organization, that would be my go-to as well. You know, make make a difference yourself. Do a thing. Don't just give money. Give your time. That's awesome. And guys, you know, and, and I failed to ask or failed to, to request of you, uh, what academic institution are you with and how can we find you? Like, how can we find more information about you if somebody wanted to contact you? Uh, we're at the University School of Milwaukee. We're a private high school. Uh, if you wanted to, you can find University School of Milwaukee on the web pretty easily. It's at usmk12.org. And we will throw that in the show notes so that everybody can take a look at that. Well, thank you both. This has thank been a really so eye-opening conversation. I think for our listeners, it's like a lot of times, yeah, we talk about the bow chicka wow wow <laughs> juicy stuff, but it's like you can't get to the juicy stuff and you can't have a good life unless you look at the foundations we build our lives on. And a lot of that's got to do with, you know, sexism, feminism, how we move in the world. So I think this is a really valuable conversation. And thanks. Thanks. Thank you, both. you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, great to be on. All right, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just shh, go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.